0: Welcome back to I'm Open Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about a baseball player who has discovered time travel, a big favor I did for 2 chains, and a fan that lost a game for their favorite team, all coming up next on the I'm Open Podcast. a lot more sports fans than professional athletes out there and that you know we're all aware of that it's really hard to become a professional athlete it's not that hard to sit on your rear end and watch athletes do their thing so we here on the I'm Open podcast we always love to explore and investigate about the different ways that Sports fans impact the game, interact with athletes. It's really interesting to us. Just a couple weeks ago, we had a situation in which a mascot actually fought a fan. And we've had an, we've also had situations in which players end up getting angry at fans, cussing them out. So it's really interesting to see the way we sort of break the fourth wall, as they say in the theater world, and have the athletes and fans interact and how fans sometimes can actually affect the game. So, just a couple days ago, the Minnesota Timberwolves were playing in Milwaukee against the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, the Milwaukee Bucks decided to have a little celebration for their fans, to celebrate their fans, and they deserve to be celebrated. The Bucks are actually in first place in the Eastern Conference after, you know, some years of, of struggling, and... Now that they have Giannis, the Greek freak, they're back on top, and they're in first place, so I'm sure their fans were in the great mood to celebrate. So the Milwaukee Bucks decided to throw a little halftime party for their team and have 90s night. That's what they were calling it, 90s night. All well and good. So far, this probably sounds great, and you, I'm up in family, are probably thinking at home, 90s night, that sounds great. I'd love to join. So who did they invite as one of the featured performers for 90s night? I'll tell you, it was Ja Rule. Now, Ja Rule, he's famous for being a rapper. Uh, he was really the biggest in the 2000s, but he did start rapping in the 90s, but he was really the biggest in, in the uh, early aughts, as they say. But Ja Rule now has gotten back in the spotlight for not rapping. Um, and actually, for the Fire Festival. Now, I don't know to my eye open family if any of y'all were able to see either of the Fire Festival documentaries. But for those of you who hadn't, basically, it was a fake music festival that never happened and was a big time scam. But people ended up going to it anyway, getting stranded on this island in the Bahamas. It's very interesting. If you haven't seen it, it's crazy. Uh, and Ja Rule was a big face behind this festival. He was really the first celebrity to get on board and start pushing this festival, and they made all the fans think that they were going to be living the lifestyle of celebrities when really they were just living the lifestyle of, uh, like, people on, like, Survivor or, or uh, Tom Hanks and Castaway or something, and they were stuck on the island for a couple days. But we don't need to feel bad for them. They all paid thousands of dollars for the tickets, so uh, they, they'll be fine. Anyway, that's not really what this podcast is about. Ja Rule, he's back in the public eye after these documentaries have come out explaining what really happened with the Fire Festival, his role with the Fire Festival. So, considering all this going on, I don't know if anybody on the Bucks was able to see the Fire Festival documentaries, anybody on the Bucks staff, to realize Ja Rule, there's a reason he's available right now. And it's that his his public, the public opinion surrounding him probably uh, is at his lowest point, would be my guess. Ja Rule, he came out and he did what, you know, what everybody's supposed to do when you're starting off a concert. He shouted, are we ready? Out to... <laughs> the audience and there was silence no one responded no one clapped now i don't know if they didn't hear ja if there wasn't a good audio if maybe they didn't really know who he was but i think it's probably because they saw the fire festival cuz he a second time he shouted Are we ready? Which is, as you guys know, what they shout at the beginning of every concert, especially hip-hop concert. And, you know, you as a hip-hop fan, as a music fan, you know you're supposed to say, Woo! And that is sort of how you let them know you're ready. Right? But nobody really said anything. Nobody responded at all to Ja Rule. And then he just said, I guess not. I guess we're not ready. He started his music anyway because he was paid to, to perform. But he literally got a silent, a silent response, completely silent from the crowd. Now, it didn't end there. It did not end there. Of course, this was in Milwaukee. As I mentioned, Milwaukee was doing this as a special treat for their own fans. But somebody in the Minnesota Timberwolves marketing department clearly has watched the Fire Festival and clearly has a sense of humor because they tweeted out, we too. Were hustled, scammed, bamboozled, hoodwinked, and led astray, and this was in relation to the Ja Rule performance. But it was also a shout out to the Fire Festival doc because those are all things that were that you know happened to the people who were scammed and ended up paying thousands of dollars to go to the Fire Festival. They were hustled, scammed, bamboozled, hoodwinked, and led astray. That's all true. So Ja Rule he noticed that and he didn't like it. He didn't like to be picked on. So Ja Rule, he had to respond back to the Timberwolves Twitter account. And he said, you just jinked yourself talking to the God this way. You're cursed now. You won't win a championship for the next 30 years. And Kat is leaving. Apologize and I'll lift the curse. Mwah. That was a little kissy emoji. Kiss of death. Alright, so, you know, respect Ja Rule for not backing down and just letting the Minnesota Timberwolves' uh, social media department pick on him. The thing about, oh, you guys won't win a championship in the next 30 years, I don't really think anybody was worried about that anyway. I mean, the Minnesota Timberwolves had an MVP. Kevin Garnett had one of the best players over the last couple decades. They still weren't really very good. So, I don't think, I think they were already cursed Ja Rule. You don't really need to worry about cursing them to not win the championship. (laughs) <laughs> you know like they, they they probably weren't going to really win the championship anyway so it's okay and then, and then he'll get to say it was his own it was his own doing when really they weren't going to really probably win the championship but ja Rule is clearly doing a little swagger jacking off of little Lil B the base god because little B he's the one who first he cursed James Harden he's cursed several different athletes for disrespecting him for stealing his celebrations and dances and stuff so, uh, Ja Rule is taking a page out of the book of Lil B, the base god, uh trying to have his own curse. But little did he know, he picked a team that was already cursed. Anyway, you know, he can't really take too much credit because this team wasn't going to win a championship anyway. But we do have to give credit to the Minnesota Timberwolves for coming back with a quick little jab there. And, <laughs> and with a nice little subtle reference to the Fire Festival as they jab Ja Rule. Obviously, Milwaukee isn't necessarily a hotbed of hip-hop, so maybe Ja Rule was just the only person who was available right now to go and do a show there. But I have a feeling that he might be on a little hiatus for now until his next music festival is ready to um, kick off. And yes, that is true. He is considering starting a new music festival with some of the guys who are on staff for Fire Festival. So everybody watch out and uh, guard your wallets. fans being mean, the ones in Milwaukee and the ones in Minnesota, or at least the the um, folks on the Minnesota social media staff who were roasting Ja Rule. Some other fans who have been very mean lately are the Indiana Hoosiers basketball fans. Now, these kids are only in college, and they go to the fine uh, Indiana University. You would think that they're all really nice and well-mannered kids. Well, maybe they are, but just last week. When they were playing their cross-state rival, the Purdue Boilermakers, they were really targeting one specific player on Purdue. His name is Matt Harms. And the whole game, the Indiana fans at Assembly Hall, which is in, in Bloomington, Indiana, that's where they've been playing for a long time, they were shouting, Fuck you, Harms! Fuck you, Harms! at this one player, Matt Harms. Now, I can understand why he might be a target. First of all, he's giant. He's like seven foot two or seven foot three. He plays a little rough, but also when you're that big, sometimes you just can't help it and you start knocking people over and elbowing them in the teeth and stuff. And it's not necessarily on purpose. When you're that big, you can't always control your whole limbs and your whole body. He's a big guy. So fans, the whole game, we're targeting, targeting, targeting Mac, Matt Harms, saying F you to Matt Harms. Well, Matt, he got his revenge, so maybe Ja Rule can learn a lesson from him. Ja, I mean, he said he got his revenge. Who knows? We'll have to wait 30 years to see if it paid off. But Matt Harms, he got his revenge right there in the moment because in the final seconds of the game, it was tied 46-46. to One of his teammates on Purdue missed a shot that would have won the game, but Matt Harms, being a freaking huge human being, over 7 feet tall, got his hand on the ball and tipped it back in. To give the Boilermakers the lead and win the game 48 to 46 at the very last moment. So after being beaten down and shouted at and profanely addressed by all these fans, Matt Harms was able to come back and show them who was boss. Now, the athletic director of Indiana, his name is Fred Glass, and he was a little upset and he was a little disappointed. And he actually wrote an open letter to the students and basketball fans at Indiana. And he said, dear student basketball fan, thank you so much for attending last night's game against Purdue. Overall, you and your fellow student fans were awesome. You came early and stayed late, cheered hard. And because you are the most knowledgeable fans in college basketball, you knew just when to take it up a notch to help our team try to get a key basket or a key stop. The profane chants directed at a specific Purdue player were not part of your positive contributions. They were embarrassing and unacceptable and reflected poorly on you and Indiana University. Knock off the profane chance and please help those around you to do the same. You and Indiana University are better than that. Well, they might be better than that, but they weren't better than Purdue and they still were only able to score 46 points. So let's kick it up a notch. Indiana fans, Indiana basketball, all of you guys can do better. All of you can do better. So let's let's try to do better. And that was a situation in which the fans I don't know if they helped their team win. They might have hurt their team and Indiana players might have agreed with the athletic director, like, Hey, will you guys shut the hell up? Stop picking on their freaking biggest player. We don't have anybody who can shut down a guy who's seven foot two or seven foot three. Pick on one of the small guys who we can actually guard. But when you get the big bear mad He's going to come back with his claws. And I don't know, is that, I might have just made up a, a quote there, but it's true. It's still true. Harms, he won the game. So the fans, at the end of the day, they thought they were supporting their team. And I know they felt like they were supporting their team, but they might have been the ones who pushed the scales in favor of the opponent. So that's a great example for fans. Watch out. Sometimes it's not all about you. It's not all about you. And I think that's a hard thing for us to understand because sports are so emotional for us. Sports are so personal for us. It's about where are you from? What team does your family like? Sports fandom is often passed down from generation to generation to generation. It's a lot about regional pride, city pride, state pride. So I understand why it feels very personal, but sometimes sports fans need to remember, it's not about you. It's not about you at all. And these fans made it about themselves a little bit too much, made it about how their feelings were hurt, or they were mad about whatever Matt Harms had been doing. And they really blew the game for their team. And I think fans around the world need to realize that. Not just these fans in Indiana. Fans all around the world. We had another situation just recently in Japan with, fan, with a fan who actually injured one of their favorite players. So this is another example of a situation where you want to be so close to the action that you fuck it all up. So sometimes just sit, sit, sit down, take a seat, sit down, stay in your seat and enjoy the game and clap and cheer for your team when they do well. But you know, that's, (laughs) I think that's the biggest lesson so far that we're getting out of these different stories is sometimes you don't need to be right in the middle of the action and it actually hurts your team. Now, This situation in Japan, this incident, happened with a fellow by the name of Daisuke Matsuzaka. Now, he's a baseball pitcher. He played for a long time in the States. He was one of the biggest names to come out of the Japanese Baseball League. He was a great pitcher, and he played for a while, most notably for the Boston Red Sox, when he first came over from Japan. And he was one of these guys playing in Japan who... There was so much speculation always about how talented he was and what was going to happen when he finally came over to play in the MLB here in the United States, what he could do. And there was a lot of buzz around him. Well, he had a pretty decent career. He's now 38 years old, and he's back playing in his home country of Japan. And at a fan event, one of the fans actually yanked his arm so hard. That he has inflammation in his arm, and now he's going to have to rest. He's not going to be able to to throw for the time being, and he's going to have to wait until the inflammation goes down. Now, this is another example. He was in spring training in Okinawa, Japan, and ja- the Japanese they love baseball. They really love baseball, and they've had a lot great. They've had a lot of great baseball players come out of Japan, and I understand. Whether you're Japanese, whether you're from Indiana, no matter where you're from, you want to be close to your heroes. You want to be able to touch them, kiss them, whatever you want to do to them. I understand. But you have to remember, like, these are real people, too. They're not like stuffed animals or or Barbie dolls or action figures. They're real humans. And if you yank on their arm, it's a real arm. It's not like a plastic bionic arm. And this guy's 38 years old. Not that that's old, but he's been pitching for a long time. Your arm is your main tool you use when you pitch because you're throwing a ball. And the person yanked his pitching arm so hard he can't even throw, which is do his main job. Like yank his foot or something else. Yank his ear if you want to. Don't yank the one body part he uses to do his job. So now Dice K, he can't even play. You can't even play because a fan was so excited to see him that yanked his arm. No, he can't participate in team activities until his arm inflammation goes down now it does seem a little odd to me like how i don't know i'm not saying he has to be weak but it's just weird like either the fan was like super super strong or dice K's not that strong to have a fan pull your arm and suddenly you have arm inflammation i know he has had arm injuries in the past so maybe something was just aggravated um, but I would hope for my athletes to be a little less frail than that. But it's a great example, again, as we discussed with the Purdue situation. Sometimes it's better for fans to stay out of it. I know they just wanted to show Dicek how much they love him, but don't show him by yanking his arm because things things turn the wrong way. Georgia Bulldogs and their coach Tom Crean really hope their fans had stayed out of it as well. Because just last week, Georgia was playing an SEC basketball matchup against Mississippi State. Bulldog on Bulldog action. Very exciting when two Bulldogs meet. The game was tied up at 67 at the very end of the game. Only half a second left. Mississippi State was fouled and went to the free throw line. Now, Quindary Witherspoon, who's a Mississippi State Bulldog, was at the free throw line. He missed the free throw that would have won the game. But while he was shooting, a fan in the Georgia student section had thrown a little bulldog, stuffed animal, onto the court that distracted him. The referee ruled that this was a technical foul for the fan throwing something on the court to interfere with the game. He gave Quindary Witherspoon a redo. And guess what happened? He hit the shot, and Mississippi State won the game. Can I say it was directly because of the fan? Who knows? Who knows, right? Maybe if the fan had not thrown the stuffed animal in the first place, Quindary just would have made the shot, and we wouldn't have even been in that situation. But this is another instance where these fans are directly impacting the outcome of the game, like the Matt Harms situation with Indiana. I mean... The game was tied sixty seven to sixty seven. I mean, there's a chance that Quindary could have just missed the shot on his own. But because the fan threw the stuffed animal, they gave him a redo. He made the shot and they won the game, so the Bulldogs literally won the game for the other Bulldogs. They won the game. On that, in the game then the game was over. There was nothing else to do. Half a second left. That's not really enough time to do it to go the full length of the court and score. This is another instance that we keep harping on we keep hitting on and it's crazy that all this stuff has just happened in the last few days but it's just an example about fans especially for sports fans especially american sports fans want to have everything right now want to have everything right in their hands and sometimes you don't get to be a part of the action sometimes you just watch the action right and sometimes there's a reason you're not on the court There's a reason you're not in the game and it's because you're not good enough. And if you are good enough, then go try out and make the team and then show them you're good enough. But if you're not in the game, don't try to insert yourself into the game. One little fan probably thought they were funny. They're probably, oh, look at this. I'm going to throw something. Oh, look how funny this is. Well, guess what? Now you're probably hated all around campus because you single-handedly blew the game and you single-handedly gave an advantage to the other team. Now, look, like I said, yeah. Could he have potentially made the shot if the person didn't first throw the stuffed animal? But yeah, it's possible. It's possible. We can't go back and, and revise history and see, but I do know that the fan definitely impacted the outcome of the game, and people were pretty pissed. Imagine if you are one of the athletes playing for the University of Georgia. You're working your tail off. I mean, okay, decently hard. To be fair, Georgia is 1-12 in at the moment. In conference play in the SEC that means they have one win and 12 losses so maybe the fans are just like screw this we can't do anything to make this team worse let's just throw shit on the court okay but to be fair this was a situation that they actually did have a chance to win only their second game in conference play only their second game they're having a hard season so the players must be like dang I mean finally finally we're in the game just one missed free throw and we have a chance to go into overtime and beat a team that nobody thought we could be, But instead, a fan had to insert themselves into the game and truly change the outcome of the game. So at this point, Georgia Bulldog players just must be feeling like, what else can we do? What else can we really do? And I don't know what the answer is. The fans must be wondering, what can we do to impact our team winning? And the answer is, just shut up and stay in your seat. That's my answer. You can't really impact the team winning. You can't. And I hate to break it to you as fans. You can't. We've looked at all these different situations. Has the fan really directly impacted their team winning? It's actually been more often that they've impacted their team losing. It has. Now, look, it's possible you might rattle a player if you're just shouting, shouting, shouting at them. Like, obviously, that's what the Indiana fans thought they were going to do to Matt Harms. They thought they were going to shake him up, get in his head, and make him sort of discouraged or something. But guess what? These guys are top-level athletes. They've been playing in front of huge crowds for years. Even if they're only 18, 19, 20 years old, they've probably been playing from huge crowds for a long time. They've been the, some of the best players in the world and in the country since they were... You know, in, in high school, in middle school, probably even elementary school, playing on travel teams, playing on AAU teams. So you're not going to shake these guys. You're not going to shake these guys. And fans who think that they are going to impact the game for their team, you're more likely to impact the game negatively for your team. You are. Look at situation when the situation with Georgia, with the Bulldogs, where a fan was literally called for a technical a fan was called. A foul was called on the fans. So, fans, that is the way you can support your team. Just be nice to them. That's the best way to support your team. Be nice. Cheer. Don't throw shit on the court. Don't try to run on the court. Don't really try to push too hard at the opponents. Don't. Because it doesn't work out. And I can tell this from a personal perspective. I had my own wet harms type situation. A few years ago, I was at a Washington Wizards game against the Oklahoma City Thunder that was when Kevin Durant was still on the team now Kevin Durant he got injured in the first half but the Thunder still crushed the Wizards and the whole game the whole game I was uh, directing my cheers at a fellow by the name of Dion Waiters and I was and he's not known to be the most rational fellow he is known to shoot the ball a lot and not pass it very much so I, every time he got the ball, I was yelling at Dion, shoot the ball, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it, because I thought, you know, the less he passed, the more he shot, I could sort of create a rift in chemistry with the team. Well, guess what? It didn't work out. Dion Waiters dropped about 30 points. He had one of his best games. The Thunder won, even though Kevin Durant didn't play the second half, and I'm not going to say I was the reason the Wizards lost, because the Wizards do a real good job of losing either way, but... I might have been the reason Deion Waiters popped off and had one of the best games of the season for himself. So, fans, I guess my point is just watch out. Don't poke the beehive because you might get stomped. We debuted an inspiring and educational new segment that will be on the I'm Open podcast for every single episode going forward. That is our birthday shout out. Now today, we're celebrating and giving a birthday shout out to Bingo Smith. Now you might be wondering, as I said that, who the hell is Bingo Smith? That sounds more like a cartoon dog or something like that. Well, that's not true. Bingo was a real man who played basketball, and Bingo was his name. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry, I just could not resist that. Now, his his real first name was Robert. Now, why didn't they just go by Bobby Smith? Why didn't they just go by Bob, Rob, Robbie? I have no idea, but I'm so grateful that they went by the name of Bingo, and i I have a little I have a little guess as to why, and we'll go into that later. Now, Bingo played in college. For the Tulsa Golden Hurricanes. Very cool nickname. I'm not sure why the Hurricanes were golden. Anyway, Tulsa. That's where he played. In Oklahoma. But there was a problem. There was actually another Bobby Smith on the team. And there was actually a third Bobby Smith on the team. That's right. At the time, Tulsa had three Bobby Smiths on their basketball team. Obviously, people have gotten a lot more creative with their naming These days, and I don't think we've really had that situation where we have two players or three players with the exact same name on the same team. But that was the case for Bobby Smith. There was three Bobby Smiths on the same team at Tulsa. So, Bingo decided to go by Bingo. And that's what his teammates started to call him. Now, I think he was called Bingo because this man was a SHOOTER with a capital SHOOT. For real, this guy was a long-range shooter, so I think when he would bang in buckets from long-range, they would be like, BINGO! Or maybe he would say bingo. Either way, that's what I like to imagine. And it is a really good punchline for every time you hit a shot to be like, BINGO! Or other people to shout bingo. I think that's pretty cool, and I think that's a dope nickname. I think we should bring the bingo nickname back. I don't know who would really work for, maybe Bingo Curry, because he (laughs) does shoot from long range. I don't know who could really carry on the Bingo nickname, but I would love to bring back the Bingo, maybe Bingo Beal, Bradley Beal. He's a long shooter. It's got the ba ba alliteration Maybe I'll try that out for Brad, but I would love to bring back the Bingo name. We got to bring that one back. It's a great, great basketball nickname, and I love it. Now... Bingo, I'm not just choosing and shouting out this man because of his name. He was actually a real baller. He was. He was known as one of the best shooters in the league. He really was a dead eye. Only problem was they had not yet invented the three-point shot. So if Bingo Smith, he was sort of lost to time. Now, not that he was lost. He was a great player. He is now a part of the Ohio Sports Hall of Fame. He's a legendary Cleveland Cavalier. His number seven is actually retired by the Cavaliers. Nobody can wear number seven anymore. He is third all time in games played for the Cavs, fifth in minutes played, sixth in points, right? So this man, top 10 in all these huge categories for the Cleveland Cavaliers, he has scored over 10,000 points as an NBA player. But, bingo, he retired, in 1980 the three-point line was not instituted into the game of basketball in the NBA until 1984 so bingo just missed just missed a great opportunity now he had a pretty decently long career he started in 1969 and he played until 1980 so I'm not saying he retired too soon but it's just a situation where if bingo just maybe would have been born ten years later He could have been banging threes left and right and then he really could have been shouting bingo. But unfortunately, even though he was shooting from long range from an area that a lot of those would have been three point shots, there was no three point line at the time. So that was something he never got to benefit from. So imagine how many more points bingo could have added to his total of over 10,000. If there was a three point line when he played and just imagine how many more emphatic bingos would have been cheered as he hit that home now i was really really excited of course by this fellow's name bingo smith it's one of the best names i i really want to do my best and that's going to be my mission now to try to bring back the bingo nickname and find somebody who can bestow that upon in the current generation of nba players let's find somebody who we can call Bingo because I think it's a great name and I don't wanna just let it go to waste. Obviously it was not wasted on the original Bingo Smith, but I do feel like nicknames can, you know, sort of come back and be recycled over time. And this is a really gem of a nickname that I would love to bring back. So happy, happy birthday to Bingo Smith. I hope you're doing well and thank you for being a nickname pioneer and for being a three-point shooting pioneer even though you didn't even realize it. with Papa John's. It happened with the Super Bowl. Time and time again, the I'm Open podcast has spurred outrage among the I'm Open family that has quickly spread like wildfire throughout the society and throughout the world. And is it all of our credit? No. But is it mostly our credit? Yes. I would say yes. Just last episode, we were discussing 2 chains. He really, really wanted to be a part of the All-Star Game, but he didn't get invited. So we, I'm Open Podcast, we decided to throw our own celebrity All-Star Game, and it was awesome. We had a really great lineup of participants, from Jeff Bezos to the person who played the voice of Finding Nemo. Of course, 2 Chains was there as well. We had a great squad, but the NBA, they realized they realized they had made a mistake, and once they saw that a much doper and funner and way cooler, buzzier, stylish, all-of-the-above All-Star Celebrity Game was about to go down, they quickly retraced their steps and tried to fix their issues. So what did they do? They invited 2 Chains at the very last minute to participate in the NBA All-Star Festivities because they were scared. The NBA was scared that I'm Open podcast all-star weekend was going to surpass nba all-star weekend so touche nba touche because you've got us this time but you know secretly that's just what we were going for all along we were just trying to get our buddy two chains included because he was feeling sad and we don't like to have our friends feeling sad we don't really like to have anybody feeling sad that's part of the, the goal of this show as, as best as we can so two chains was invited the very last minute to participate in the NBA celebrity well he wasn't directly a part of the celebrity game but they had a special sort of pop a shot contest that included uh, Shaq Quavo from Migos and Kenny Smith who's also you know one of the TNT commentators with Shaq and Two Chains so you're welcome America you're welcome NBA and you're welcome Two Chains that we really caused this uproar and we brought Two Chains to the NBA All-Star game you're welcome We we try to do what we can here to make the world a better place. Someone else who was at NBA All-Star Weekend, Dennis Smith Jr. Now, Dennis was there in order to defend his title as Slam Dunk Contest Champion, which he won last year. And he came back this year to defend that title. He had some competitors. And the Dunk Contest, it's usually one of the most anticipated moments of All-Star Weekend. It's a lot of fun. It's just people showing off their incredible athleticism, creativity, what can they do using different silly props, jumping over friends of theirs, what can, you know, it's not exactly things that you would be allowed to do during a basketball game but it's a fun creative way for these guys to show off what they can do. A lot of celebrities like to go and they have, you know, celebrity judges and stuff and it's always a great time. But unfortunately this year the slam dunk contest was a little bit underwhelming and a little bit disappointing. Now, Dennis, he eventually lost in the final round to Hamidou Diallo, and shout out to Hami. I'm not trying to bring down the credit that he's getting, and he definitely deserves it. He jumped over Shaq, so that's pretty that's pretty difficult. For those of you who don't know who Shaq is, he's very tall. He's over seven feet tall. He's hard to jump over. Uh, So that was incredible. Hami jumped over Shaq. The one thing about Hami, and then we'll get back to Dennis, he jumped over Shaq in his first dunk in the first round. So then, obviously, after that, he basically had it locked up once he did a few more dunks. But we already saw him dunk over Shaq. So after that, none of the dunks he really did were that, that impressive. Because we already saw him jump over a man who was 7 feet 2. So after that, it's like, unless you have jump over Yao Ming, or unless, I, I just I don't know what the next level is to, to go higher than that. That, you know, I think he just blew his load a little too early. That's all. But Dennis Smith he made it to the finals. He actually got two perfect scores of 50 and the dunk contest is scored kind of like gymnastics. People just hold up numbers sort of based on how they feel that day, how they thought the person did. It's basically just a judgment call. There's not like a clear there's not a super clear rubric to how it works. So, something that kind of rubbed me the wrong way was like, "Okay, I'm glad that Dennis got two perfect scores. He he was trying his best. But each of those times, each time Dennis tried to dunk, he missed his dunk like eight times before he was actually able to complete the dunk. And judges America, this is not a, this is not Boy Scouts. this isn't Rec league soccer where you want to let everybody feel good and give everybody a medal for participating. These are professional athletes and these are some of the best athletes in the world. So people are we're still giving Dennis Smith a perfect score on these dunks even after he misses six, seven times in a row and so the way the rule works is, you are allowed to keep trying and keep trying and keep trying your dunk as long as you don't take more than 30 seconds. I believe that's the allotted time for every competitor to go. So that's what Dennis would do. And he would try, miss, try, miss, try again, miss. And by the end, he would end up doing a simpler dunk than he originally had tried to do Because he just wanted to make sure he could throw one down. So we had already seen something that he'd been planning to do. He couldn't execute that. So then he brought it down to something that was less impressive. So even if he was able to complete the original dunk he wanted to do, it still wasn't that impressive because it took him like seven or eight tries to do it. Okay? So I was looking on the internet because I wanted to show my I'm Open family, as I always do, the truth behind the story. I wanted to show all these failed dunks by Dennis Smith and make a funny meme or joke about it. Guess what? The only things I could find on the internet were just showing Dennis Smith's completed dunks. They didn't show the dozens of times that he missed the dunks, dropped the ball, couldn't get it to go through the hoop, didn't even throw it, try to throw it down, and just pulled the ball down before he had a chance to dunk it. Like, are we trying to protect this man's ego because he plays in the NBA on a world stage on ESPN, on ABC, on TNT? Let look, let him fail. Failure is a part of life failure is a part of success, right? Hopefully, you know, next year, if he decides to come back and redeem himself in the dunk contest, Dennis actually practices his dunks so he can make sure that all the dunks he wants to try, he can complete the first try. That would be awesome. I would love to see that. And I don't know why people are trying to protect this young man's ego. I understand he's only like 20 or 21 years old, but he's the one who volunteered to participate in the dunk contest. And yeah, if he missed eight dunks in a row, I mean, I'm sorry. I felt really embarrassed for him. I felt embarrassed on his behalf. I was out with some friends watching the dunk contest, and I was literally pained. I could not believe how many times he was trying and missing and trying and missing and trying and missing. And eventually, in the final round, he basically just gave up because he had missed so many times. Now, Dennis, he did try to pull out all the stops. He brought his friend, J. Cole, out, and he used him basically as a prop to throw up the ball, and then Dennis jumped over J. Cole to dunk. That's cool. I mean, J. Cole's from North Carolina. They were having the All-Star Game in Charlotte. Dennis Smith is also from North Carolina. He wore J. Cole's high school uniform to do his dunk, so it's all the synergy, North Carolina love. That's awesome. But J. Cole's hot right now. He just dropped a great album, and now I'm thinking about him with Dennis Smith missing like 11 dunks in a row. Okay, don't bring J. Cole down with with that mess. I know you guys are friends, and I'm sure J. Cole is just happy to go down and support him. But Hami, your competitor, Hami Diallo, already jumped over Shaq. So it's cool that you jumped over J. Cole. Obviously, J. Cole has way more platinum singles than Shaq does. But Shaq is way bigger than J. Cole. It's way more impressive to jump over J. Cole. Maybe if you'd gotten like the entire cast of NSYNC or or the Spice Girls or something and jumped over all five of them jumped over all of Maroon 5 or something, I mean, or the whole Wu-Tang Clan, that would have been more, I mean, I'm not saying that they're cooler than J. Cole, I'm just saying one J. Cole versus one Shaq, like obviously it's cooler to jump over Shaq, even though J. Cole is like a big name in culture society right now he's still not taller than Shaq so it's just not, it's cool, it's cool but it's just not that impressive it isn't and I just think These guys are taking it a little too easy. Maybe they didn't practice their dunks. I mean, in the first round, John Collins, he did this thing where he jumped over, like, a styrofoam plane. I mean, it worked, but he, like, kicked off half the plane when he jumped over it. And it, I mean, it was okay. It was just kind of corny to me. He wore this whole hat to do it, and then he didn't even do any sort of special dunk. He just jumped over the model plane, and then he didn't even jump all the way over it. He, like, kicked part of it, and he, like, broke it. I just think, I mean, I'm glad these guys are trying to come up with props, bringing out famous people like Jay Cole and Shaq to dunk over, but like, let's actually complete our dunks and let's practice and make sure we can do it. So I have a great idea that I think can fix the dunk contest and actually put a little fire under these guys' asses to actually perform at the highest level at the dunk contest. The first problem, obviously, is that a lot of our best players, a lot of the most recognizable faces who we would love to see in the dunk contest, don't participate. LeBron James, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis, Giannis Antetokounmpo, a lot of the biggest names in the NBA who we would love to see participate in the dunk contest don't. So that's up to them. We can't force them to do anything they don't want to do. And if they don't want to participate, they shouldn't. But it is harder to drum up interest in the dunk contest when it's a lot of guys like Miles Bridges, Hamidou Diallo, Dennis Smith, who I have heard of, because I'm addicted to basketball, but many of you guys probably haven't heard of. So it's kind of harder to drum up. I, with the friends I was watching with, I literally had to tell them who each of the people were who were dunking. So that is, you know, that makes it hard. It's hard to watch a show when you don't know the characters. But I think one way we can drum up more interest, this is supposed to be to figure out who is the best dunker in the whole world. So maybe we should open this up to people who aren't just in the NBA, some incredible, Athletes and dunkers are actually in the G League, which is like the minor league for the NBA. And I'm sure there's some incredible dunkers at playgrounds and gyms and rec centers all over this country. So what I'm proposing is as we lead up to the All-Star Dunk Contest, we have a sort of regional dunk contest to find local individuals who might not be professional athletes, but who can dunk because there are a lot of them out there. And the winners from that, maybe we have the top four winners of non-NBA. They could be international basketball players. They could be G League, minor league basketball players, or they could just be guys who just work at the post office or are lawyers and happen to be able to dunk. And let's see the regular folks challenge the NBA players. I feel like then the NBA guys are really, really gonna wanna prove that they can dunk, and they're not going to want to get beat by some average guys, some average just regular old folks like you and I, but they're really going to have to step up their game because there's some people that have literally made themselves famous just off of doing crazy creative dunks on Instagram, on YouTube, doing all sorts of trick dunks and stuff. So I think this is a great way to challenge the NBA players. They're, They're resting on their laurels a little bit. They are. They're chilling. Everybody's already, okay, the dunk contest is fine, but you're, you know, all these guys are already ready to go out to Sony or TNT or whatever, McDonald's, whoever's throwing the big after party that night, right? Okay. I mean, that's cool. But most of these guys in the dunk contest, they're not actually participating in the all-star game. They're just there for that one event for like 20 minutes. Okay, so they're just glad they got invited so they can go hang and mingle and mix and go to all these big parties and get their photo taken. All right, that's great. But let's actually challenge these guys. And I don't think they would be very happy about getting beat by some regular old guys who are not in the NBA. So I would absolutely love to see that. I think that's the way to fix the dunk contest. And I think that's what we need to do next year. And going forward, let's start out with regional. Tryouts like American Idol, where they go from city to city. We'll send whatever Charles Barkley around (laughs) in a trailer from city to city, watching people dunk. He can pick one person from each city, and then people could be representing, cheering for people from their city as they challenge NBA players and see if any of these regular average Joes can knock off any of these superstar athletes. I think that would be an awesome way to fix the dunk contest, so it doesn't just feel like everybody's getting an award just for participation. Because Dennis missing first, second, third, eventually he was missing six or seven dunks in a row. And it's just painful. And then you're just sitting there watching like, is this really the best we can do? Is this really the best, best performance these guys can put on for us? I'm trying to see the best dunks in the world, things I've never seen before. I'm not trying to see somebody drop the ball 30 times in a row and miss and miss and miss and miss and miss and miss over and over again. And I'm not saying Dennis Smith Jr. sucks. He seems like a great guy. He's a really fun and explosive player but i don't know he was maybe he was just chilling cuz he was back in his home state partying with a lot of friends and family maybe he felt like oh i won last year i already kind of got my my dunk contest experience in i don't need to do that much this year i don't know but either way i was disappointed so i really hope adam silver the commissioner of the nba is listening because we still can fix the dunk contest before it's too late Somebody else who tried so many different times and it didn't really work out was a fellow by the name of Ben Diarmond. Now, you've probably never heard of Ben and I had neither until just last week. Now, he's a professional golfer and he was making his debut on the web.com tour with the lacom Suncoast Classic event in Florida. And he scored a 17. I'm not saying on the whole game. He scored a 17 on one individual hole. And now for any of y'all who have not played golf before that means that it took him 17 shots to make it into the hole now that's pretty bad that's pretty bad I'll, I'll just put that right there i suck at golf i have golfed a few times in my life but i even i i've never even gotten a 17 on a hole like at the very least you can just put it as hard as you can down the green just straight down and it shouldn't take you 17 times to get it in the hole now, he did hit the ball in the water and he kept trying to hit it over the water, but he hit it into the water six times, six times. He's like the Dennis Smith Jr. of golfing because he kept trying, he kept trying, he kept trying. Eventually, you got to learn, try to go around the water. If there's a way, try to go around because my man six times in a row hit his ball into the water and boy, was that a dreadful debut for him on the Pro Tour to have a score of 17 on one hole. Now, Ben, you got to give him a shout-out because he recovered from this. And maybe this is something that Dennis Smith can find solace in. Maybe these two guys can form a support group. Or maybe Dennis can just learn a lesson from this to come back even stronger next year to prove himself on the dunk contest that he can really, you know, dunk on the first try. Ben, he came back. He had a pretty decent back nine, which is the second half of a golf round. But 17. 17 on one hole. At that point, he was basically out of it. Now, luckily, he didn't let it shake his self-esteem. He didn't let it ruin his life, ruin his day. He just said, just went a little numb, but we got through it. I had a good back nine, so I'll be back tomorrow. If you learn anything from me today, it's don't withdraw. Don't give up. Have fun with it. It's a game. Everybody has a bad day, a bad hole, even the worst hole of your life. So you have to move on. And that's a great attitude to have. This man was probably on one of the biggest days of his life. He was finally making his pro debut, probably something he's been dreaming about for a long, long time. And he scored a 17 on one hole. He said that's worse than he's ever, ever golfed. And I can totally believe it because I suck, as I just mentioned, at golfing. And even I think 17 sucks. Okay, so I do have to shout out to Ben, though, for his attitude, when you got knocked down, stand back up. When you hit your ball in the water five times, try to hit it in the water one more time. And don't let it shake your attitude. Don't let it shake your confidence. Somebody else who I hope hasn't had their confidence shaken lately is a fellow by the name of Nick Stauskas. We were already talking about one of the best nicknames in my mind in history with the fellow bingo smith whose birthday is today. But Nick Stauskas is definitely up there as well. His nickname is Sauce Castillo, and this just came with such a beautiful technological accident, where there was closed captioning on the TV as he was playing, and the closed captioning interpreted the name Nick Stauskas as Sauce Castillo, So since then, obviously, that was something that people latched onto because it was hilarious. And his nickname is Sauce Castillo. And hopefully, Nick Stauskas still has the sauce and isn't too shut down by what's happened to him last week. Within a span of only one week, Nick Stauskas was traded three separate times. First, he was a member of the Portland Trailblazers which he, he started off the season in Portland, and he's been playing with them all season. They traded him to the Cleveland Cavaliers for Rodney Hood. He never even played in a game with Cleveland. He was only there for two days. Soon enough, they, they traded him to the Houston Rockets. But he didn't even have time to have some brisket or cornbread because Houston turned right around and traded him to the Indiana Pacers. The Indiana Pacers... They didn't even give Nick a uniform or a locker because they immediately cut him and said, no thanks, we don't want you on the team. And finally, the Cleveland Cavaliers, who originally had traded for Nick from the Portland Trailblazers at the beginning of the week, decided to go and re-sign Nick and bring him back on the team. So the moral of the story is, Nick, don't, you know, he didn't get his head down. He was on four teams in one week. But finally, he found a team that wanted him and he looks like he's gonna stick for the rest of the season. But geez, I mean, getting cut, getting traded, it's like getting dumped or getting fired. It hurts, it hurts your feelings. They always say it's not personal sports, it's just a business, it's just a business. Okay, but you know, you're the one who got traded so you personally did get traded. And it's not like these are just assets They are people. It's not like it's just a product. These are people. Why did you get traded? It's probably because you weren't playing well. Your team didn't think you had a lot of potential. Your team didn't think you fit with them chemistry-wise. Your team didn't really believe in you at the end of the day. So he had that happen three consecutive times in one week. But luckily for Nick, he was still able to latch on with the team at the end. And it was actually one of the teams that had traded him away, the Cleveland Cavaliers. They originally traded for him and then got him back. So I think this is just a great lesson in life. And this goes ties back into the story with Bendy Armand. If if you fail, if you have trouble, try again, try again and don't get down on yourself. I mean, man, oh man, I know I, you know, failure is something that for me is really intimidating and scary as I think it is for a lot of people. Rejection sucks. It sucks being rejected. It sucks getting told you're not good enough, but Nick He had that happen to him three times with just in within a span of a couple days, and he's having to move to a new city. Discuss with his you know family where are we moving to? With his significant other, where are we moving to? You know where are we gonna live? Where are we gonna stay? And he had to do this over and over and over again. From Portland to Cleveland to Houston to Indiana. It's not like he was just moving around the corner. He was moving to like different cities hundreds and hundreds of miles away. And he kept getting tossed around and traded around like a rag doll. And yeah, that is just part of the business of sports. Guys can get traded, you know? Their contracts can get traded. It's not really up to them. And if somebody wants to trade you, if somebody wants to cut you, that's up to that team. And that's really not up to you as a player. And that's one of the hard things about sports. That's one of the things that I think makes the life of an athlete really difficult is you at the end of the day don't have agency over where you go and that's why in situations like with LeBron James or with Kevin Durant where they end up choosing hey I want to go to Miami or hey I want to go to Los Angeles or hey I want to go to San Francisco these are unique moments in which an NBA player or a professional athlete for that matter actually has a choice as to where they play because for the vast vast majority of the time these guys have no choice whatsoever And they're just getting shipped around left and right like a package in FedEx. That's why it helps you understand when something like this happens to Nick Stauskas, why it's so important for when players do have these limited windows to actually exert their agency and choose where they want to play, where they want to live, that it's important for them to do so. Because there's, there's a few stories like that with Kevin Durant or with LeBron James, and everybody gets their panties in a bunch about that and starts burning uniforms and crying and hating these people for life or trying to be mean to them on Instagram or whatever. But there's far, far, far more situations and instances like this one with Nick Stauskas, where a player has no choice where he goes. The guy is not making 20 or $30 million a year, and he's just getting shipped around from team to team to team to team. And nobody seems to be mad at their teams. I don't hear Portland Trailblazer fans or Houston Rocket fans or Indiana Pacer fans being mad about the way their team was treating this player. And I understand. They don't really care. They didn't really build a relationship as a fan-to-athlete relationship with Stauskas because he was barely on their team. But it just goes to show fans are much more willing often to criticize athletes for moving around, but they're not as willing to criticize teams for just basically treating these athletes like goods rather than human beings. So, Nick, I hope your ego is not too bruised and battered after all of this that's going on I hope you're still confident enough to rock your sauce Castillo nickname and I hope you still got a little bit of sauce even after it's been shipped left and right all over the country and I hope the sauce I hope they really had those nice packages with maybe um dry ice or maybe a nice cooler bag to ship the, to make sure the sauce didn't spoil as it was shipped left and right all over the country and I hope Nick has a good rest of his season after it was I'm sure A very traumatizing and hard week that probably made him wonder, does anybody really want me? Does anybody really think I'm good at basketball? We've all felt like that. We've all been rejected before. We've all worried that we weren't good enough before. So I think we can all relate to Nick. Hopefully he has a great rest of his season and keeps his head up. NFL and the way it works is that it's not transparent enough. We might have a call from a referee that changes the game, that changes the outcome of the game. You know, like we just discussed a couple weeks ago with the New Orleans Saints and the Los Angeles Rams, that there was really a call that really changed the outcome of the game and Saints fans were super pissed off about it. And this goes all the way to the top with the NFL. Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, he's really the judge, jury, and executioner when it comes to discipline and punishment in the NFL. And that means if a player does something bad, if there's some sort of a violation, rule breaking, Roger Goodell, he himself just decides what happens. Did he break the rule or not? What's his punishment gonna be? And there's not a lot of transparency throughout the NFL. It's a huge corporation. And a lot of the things it does, it keeps secret. Just this year, a new, brand new football league was debuted. And it's called the Alliance of American Football. Their quality on the field is not as good as the the NFL. But one thing the AAF has done is create more transparency. And maybe this will be a sign for the NFL that this is what people like. And this is, you know, a way forward for football. What the AAF, Alliance of American Football, has decided to do is basically have everybody mic'd up. The players, the coaches, the referees. Everybody is mic'd up the whole game. So we as fans get to really hear what these guys were talking about. One of the coaches, Mike Martz, was actually heard during the game on his mic saying, hey, I think we're going to bench our quarterback and put in a new quarterback. So you can hear that whole process before he even benched his quarterback. You could hear that he was thinking about it, processing it, and the fan can kind of go through the process. Okay, well, if the quarterback doesn't play well this series, this next time he has the ball then we're gonna go with the bench, we're gonna go with the backup. So it's interesting to see that transparency and hopefully one day you can get to that with the NFL because I do think we all want more access like we were talking about at the beginning of the episode, we as fans want more access. And I think that's a way, it doesn't necessarily hurt the game and it gives us more of an inside view of the thought process of these coaches and players. It also gives us a better view of the thought process of these referees as well, which is really awesome. Now, if there's a challenge or if there's a reviewed call The really awesome new thing that the AAF has done is mic up the referees as they discuss the call. So you'll see them watching the replay of the call and they'll talk through their thought process. Like, okay, it looks like he caught it and he was falling to the ground. You can see his elbow touch the ground and the ball's coming loose. Like they talk through the whole process of whether they think it's a catch or not. Or you know whatever the play might be as they review the play. Now this is really awesome. I love this transparency. It's really cool to see the thought process of a referee or a coach or a player as they work through the game because there's a lot of mental situations. There's a lot of thought that goes into football or any sport. There's a lot of strategy, and I think this is an awesome. Even though the AAF is not going to surpass the NFL, it's not going to surpass the NBA. But it's exciting these new different innovations and sometimes when you're a smaller fish in a bigger pond, you have to take risks like miking everybody up to create some buzz around your product. So I absolutely love this. I think this is great that the American Alliance, excuse me, the, the Alliance of American Football has decided to basically mic every up, everybody up and it's given us a really awesome insight that the NFL doesn't give us. So hopefully eventually NFL fans will be clamoring to have everybody mic'd up as well. And this could be a really awesome way for us to see what referees go through. It's really hard to be a referee. And I mentioned this last, you know, when we were talking about this last, it is really hard to be a referee. So if we could understand as fans, the thought process of, okay, first I was thinking that it might be this, but then through this evidence, it's my mind was changed and here's why. And I think that would be a really interesting an exciting update for the NFL. Some other evidence that has recently come out is maybe a little bit too transparent for the NFL's liking. And this is in regards to New England Patriots owner, Robert Kraft. Now, this is a situation like we were just talking about. We'll have to see Roger Goodell. He's the judge. He's the jury. He's the executioner. We'll see what he decides to do with Robert Kraft. But we've just had evidence come out that Robert Kraft was actually a client at a quote-unquote massage parlor in Florida called the Orchids of Asia Day Spa. Now, he went there many a time, and the special thing about this massage parlor is that they were giving special massages um, to You know, special massages. You know what I'm talking about. Special sensual massages. Robert Kraft, he had been going there, I think, several times. And most recently, he actually went to the special massage parlor on the same day that the New England Patriots played against the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC championship game. There is video of Mr. Kraft arriving at the Orchids of Asia Day Spa at 11 a.m. There's also video footage of him in the spa receiving special uh, massage, well, not quite massage, but special acts as he was there, and he was out by 11.15, so he's not quite as quick as Quick Rick uh, Patino, but he's still pretty dang quick, and hey, not bad for a 77-year-old, and he was then in Kansas City in time for the kickoff for the Patriots game against the Kansas City Chiefs. Now... I understand that this might have been a very stressful day in time for Mr. Kraft, but let's be honest. How stressed can you really be? You own a football team. It's not like you lose the team if the team doesn't win the Super Bowl. You still get to be really rich, and you still get to own the team. Okay, so the fact that this was the same day as the AFC Championship game makes it seem like, yeah, this probably wasn't the only time. It probably wasn't the only time. And if you're wealthy enough to literally fly somewhere just to get a little special massage, I mean, I don't know if they have places like this in Kansas City or in Boston where Mr. Kraft, you know, lives and has the Patriots, but the fact that he flew to Florida, got his own little special massage and then flew to Kansas City makes it seem like he'd probably been there before. It makes it seem like this probably wasn't just like a one-time random thing, like oh, I found this on Yelp, but I decided to pop in. So the FBI actually had a sting operation on this special spa because they had suspected that some stuff was going on that was, you know, outside of the law. And it turned out that it was true. Bob Kraft, he's not the only one who was a part of this sting operation. He's not the only name who's been out there and he's not the only person who was caught, but he is the only one who's the owner of the Patriots and he's the only one who's, you know, really super famous. So that's the reason he's taking a big brunt of this. I think it just goes to the suspicion a lot of people have. You know, when they say the Patriot way, I think they might mean cheating. In my opinion, this is cheating. Robert Kraft, he's not married, but he does have a girlfriend who he's been with for a while. And honestly, the kind of sad thing about this whole situation is I'm not super surprised. We've seen the we've seen the Patriots, you know, cheat before. We've seen them deflate balls. We've seen them film other teams during practice. We've seen them, you know, have a trainer who it seemed like was giving out uh, performance-enhancing drugs to the players, including the Super Bowl MVP, as we just discussed last uh, episode. And now we've seen him cheating on his girlfriend. But it's, sadly, it wasn't a huge surprise because Robert Kraft, he's been out. He was out trying to like twerk with Cardi B. He was <laughs> just a couple weeks ago. He's been wearing a chains and stuff all over the place. I know he's sort of having like a three-quarter life crisis and he loves the fact that, you know, being a sports owner, being the owner of the Patriots, gives him the access to hang with these young, you know, pot people. But he was getting a little too obsessed with sort of hip-hop culture and it was a little... Weird, like we can all appreciate hip hop culture, but when you're a 77 year old white man and then you just suddenly out of nowhere like start showing up at every Meek Mill concert, when it's like, I don't know, nobody had known him to be like a lifelong rap fan or hip hop head or anything like that. And now, suddenly, he's like twerking on stage with Cardi B and he's also friends with Donald Trump. And we know that Donald Trump liked to go to his own weird uh sex parties in Florida as well, even though obviously, um. Anyway, well, that's a different story. But sadly, we weren't super surprised by the Robert Kraft situation. We'll see how that plays out and we'll see what Roger Goodell decides to do. Now, somebody who I'm sure is hoping that the Patriots face some sort of punishment for this, though it's unclear. Obviously, this isn't a football violation. This is just more like a legal violation. But the Buffalo Bills, they have to lose to the Patriots every single year because they're in their division and it doesn't. Really, usually end very well for for Buffalo, as I just mentioned. Buffalo last year just drafted Josh Allen to be their quarterback, and he had a decent season. Um, but before the season even started, Jalen Ramsey, who was featured in GQ, he had an interview and an article and a photo shoot in GQ. They asked him about all the different quarterbacks in the league, and he basically went through almost every single quarterback, saying he's trash, he's trash, he's trash, he's trash, he's, trash. he's soft, he's dumb basically talking about all the quarterbacks who he didn't think were good. This is what he said. This was back August, and this is what he said about Allen. He said, I think Allen is trash. I don't care what nobody says. He's trash, and it's going to show, too. That's a stupid draft pick to me. We play him this year, and I'm excited as hell. I hope he is their starting quarterback. Now, those are big words. He said he was trash. Now, ironically, when the two teams played in person, the Buffalo Bills actually won, and Allen had a good game. Now, he... Had two touchdowns, one of them running, one of them throwing. And the Buffalo Bills had one of their few wins of the season. And they beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. So you might think, wow, Josh Allen proved it. Josh Allen proved to Jalen Ramsey that he's not trash. He's actually really good. And a fan actually got an autograph of Josh Allen flexing. And he asked him to sign with a note to Jalen Ramsey. So he signed, his name Josh Allen, and he said, hey Ramsey, am I still trash? Question mark. Hashtag Bills Mafia. We all know the way the internet works. Things spread like wildfire that you might think not everybody's going to see. This whole statement and this whole signature made it back to Jalen Ramsey. And he basically responded, yes, you are still trash. So just because Josh Allen was able to beat the Jaguars, I guess Jalen Ramsey didn't really have his mind changed. And he still does think Josh Allen is trash. He didn't really prove it to him uh, by, by beating him in person. Maybe he'll have to beat him again this year. But um, there was just a little jab back and forth. And obviously, this might be a new rivalry in the NFL. People are complaining about how these teams aren't really rivals like they used to. This might be a brand new rivalry we didn't even expect because Lord knows the Bills and Patriots aren't really real rivals because the Patriots just whoop them every year. So maybe their new rival is going to be the Jacksonville Jaguars. And we really hope that these two teams get matched up again next year so we can keep exploring and keep watching the growing rivalry between Josh Allen and Jalen Ramsey, who both think each other are trash, I guess. Now, while we're talking about the NFL, we have to give a special shout-out to Colin Kaepernick, the one and only. Kaepernick, as we all know, started protesting during the National Anthem of Football Games by kneeling. And this was not a way to disrespect the flag. He actually spoke to a veteran, and a veteran gave him this idea. For a good way to honor the troops because that's what troops actually do to honor their fallen brothers and sisters. So it was actually a veteran who gave Kaepernick this idea of kneeling during the uh, national anthem. And it's not protesting the national anthem (laughs) for people who don't understand that. It's protesting the inequality that's still so strong in this country. And Kaepernick, after a legal battle, after not being signed by any NFL team, has received a settlement from the NFL. Now, this is a huge victory. This doesn't mean he's scared to go to court. This means the NFL is scared to go to court. Now, we don't know exactly how much Kaepernick made off this settlement, but the NFL, now each team is valued you know, on a singular basis. So each team is estimated to be an average value of over $2 billion. So when you add that up, there's 32 teams. The NFL is probably worth At least $70 billion as a total conglomeration. Now, the NFL is one of the hugest corporations when you add all that together. The NFL is one of the biggest corporations in the world. Bigger than even like Starbucks. Like The NFL is a giant corporation. So when they settle with Kaepernick, you know that that means they were embarrassed. They were cornered and they knew that they were in the wrong. So I don't know how many millions Kaepernick got or how many... Hundreds of millions. I hope it's a lot because he deserves it. And he basically had his career taken from him for his political views. Now, hypothetically, this is a country that supports free speech, but obviously, the 32 owners of the NFL did not feel strongly about that part of the Constitution because none of them were willing to hire Colin Kaepernick. None of them were willing to employ Colin Kaepernick, even though there's terrible quarterbacks all around the league like Eli Manning and Blake Bortles. And those are actually starting quarterbacks, those aren't even backups those are starting quarterbacks. So I think this is a huge victory for Colin Kaepernick. And this proves when people settle outside of court, that proves that they are caught and they are willing to pay to not have this information about themselves released to the public. So congratulations to Colin Kaepernick for this settlement. Jalen Ramsey might think, Josh Allen is trash, but I personally think the NFL owners are trash because this proves this proves that they colluded as a group of old white men to make sure Colin Kaepernick would not be able to work in the NFL, would not be able to do his job as a quarterback because of his political views. So congrats to Cap for winning this battle against the NFL. And shame on you, NFL, because this just proves, this settlement just proves for all the people who were like, well, Kaepernick's not even good enough to be in the NFL. That's the real reason why it's not worth the distraction. This proves, this settlement proves that Kaepernick was in the right, that he legally was on firm ground and the NFL really didn't have a case to stand on and they knew it and they knew it. And this was a clear case of discrimination And Kaepernick stood up. Now, he's never going to play in the NFL again. He probably will not play professional football again. But other leagues like the AAF, which we discussed before, they are considering bringing in Kaepernick. And Nike has actually just released a jersey, just all black, number seven, no team on it, as a shout-out to Colin Kaepernick for his uh, stance and for his actions. Now, I don't know if this jersey was planned exactly for when the reveal about the settlement came out, but it is – Good timing, and I'm proud of Cap. Um, I'm really grateful for Kaepernick that we had an athlete who wasn't scared to stand up and wasn't scared to stand up to these billionaires, and he won. He won, so that's really awesome. Hopefully, NFL owners have learned their lesson, though they're all so rich that, who knows, losing 10 or $20 million might not seem like a lot to them. But I do hope that this situation, you know, taught – people who were doubting Kaepernick all around America and who thought that he was just blowing steam and who thought that he really didn't deserve to be in the NFL anyway, this case proves that he was right because people don't settle if they're right. People don't settle if they're legally in the clear, right? That's not what happens. People only settle when they know they've been cornered and they're about to get caught. So congratulations to Colin Kaepernick and shame on you to the NFL owners. There's something that we do every single episode of the I'm Open podcast, and we can't leave our show without recognizing our mask off performer of the week. This award or recognition goes to someone who has revealed something new about themselves and taken their mask off this week. doesn't have to be good. doesn't have to be bad. It's just something interesting that stood out to us about someone who has revealed something new about themselves this week. This segment is dedicated to and inspired by Future. Thank you so much, Future, for blessing us with your talents. This week, our Mask Off performer
1: is Brady Feigl.
0: Or I should really say, our Mask Off performers are Brady Feigl. And you might be wondering, David, do you understand how grammar works? Do you understand the difference between plural and singular? And I would tell you, yes, I do. And that's because there is more than one Brady Feigl, and they both play baseball. They both happen to be six foot four. They both have red chin beards. They both wear the exact same glasses. Now, this all came out just last year when somebody realized, I don't know what took them so long, there's two Brady Feigles. Both of them play minor league baseball. One of them uh, in the minor league system of the Oakland A's. The other one in the minor league system for the Texas Rangers. Both of them have a first name, Brady. Both of them have the last name, Feigle. If you look at their photo, and I will post this on our Instagram, I'm open underscore pod, so you can see it. They look exactly the same. They're both the same height, like I mentioned. They're both pitchers. These guys can't be twins. Brady and Brady cannot be long-lost twins because they are a couple years apart in age. But the internet started to wonder. Everyone started to wonder, maybe these guys are long lost brothers. Maybe they secretly got adopted or maybe they're secret cousins or something. There's got to be some sort of connection. I mean, you will see when you look at the photo I posted of them on Instagram, these guys look exactly the same. They even have the same chin beard as I mentioned. And for some reason, they wear the exact same baseball glasses with a little black frame on the top and clear on the bottom. I know a lot of baseball players wear these glasses, but it's freaky how much these guys look alike. And it's not like it's like, John Jackson, or something like that. It's literally Brady Feigl. Pretty, I mean, I know Brady's a kind of common name, but Feigl doesn't seem like a very common name. When asked and interviewed about this crazy coincidence, both Brady Feigl said, I thought my family was the only Feigl family out there. Okay, well, first of all, you're a little, uh, not that, you know, they, your family's not the only one out there. That's a little cl- closed minded or not. I'm not trying to say these guys are dumb. I'm just saying there's obviously going to be some other people with your your last name, not just your immediate family. But they were both super surprised. And then when they saw each other and met each other, they are like, wow, damn, we really do look alike. So what they did was they actually did like a sort of one of those new popular genetic tests that are like 23andMe type thing. I don't know. I'm not trying to do an advertisement for 23andMe. I don't know what exactly these guys did to test their, uh, you know, background. But they both timed in, did the little saliva spit thing and to test their DNA and then they met up in person Maybe actually maybe these guys were sponsored by 23 and Me or one of these companies Ancestry.com to do this test so then they met up in person to reveal their tests and they were shocked to find out That they were both exactly 53% of German heritage but you know they're not, they're not twins, they're not brothers, they're not directly related according to DNA, but uh, Feigl, that is a you know German name, sounds like it. So I guess it makes sense that both of them are, I mean 53%, that is kind of a weird coincidence, but that's kind of where the coincidences stop because it turns out one of the Brady Feigls is also part Irish, like 2%, but the other one is 10% Irish. So obviously if they really were family members, if they really were secret family members, all of their different you know, backgrounds would have just matched up. But this is still really crazy. These people are not only name twins, they are face twins as well. They look exactly alike. Now, neither of them is probably gonna have a long career playing baseball or a very successful career. Maybe one Brady Feigl is a Brady Feigl from the future, coming back to tell Brady Feigl from the past that I'm sorry buddy, you didn't make it to the pros, we're still in the minor leagues. But who knows, we're not not gonna find out until the future. So it's all, well, all right, I guess that might not work with the whole 2% to 10% Irish thing, but hey, in the future, maybe they can have different weird genetic modular technologies that we don't know about right now. So maybe this is Brady Feigl from the future, coming back to warn Brady Feigl from the past, look man you might want to choose a different career because i'm still in the minor leagues and now i'm almost 30. so that actually might really be what's going on here but congratulations to them because for both of them this is their pinnacle and they couldn't have done it without each other if not for one brady feigl the other brady Figel would not have been all over the internet all over these blogs people excited would not have been on the i'm open podcast so even though they're not real brothers they're not real family members they have given each other their five minutes of fame just sheerly through this crazy coincidence. Now, when they met in person, it was kind of freaky to watch. It looked like the Spider-Man meme with the two Spider-Mans pointing at themselves. But even though these guys were, you know, a little disappointed that they weren't actually brothers, they weren't secretly related, they decided, look, we really kind of are like brothers anyway. So, These guys were able to create this bond over both being named Brady Feigl, both being gingers with chin beards and glasses who play baseball and are pitchers. And I'm sure now they're going to have a relationship. And actually, one Brady Feigl even said, ever since that happened, everyone has always been asking him, Hey, how's the other Brady Feigl? How's the other Brady Feigl? Now, we first found out that there were two Brady Feigls about a year ago. I mean, at least, you know, I first found out. I don't know how long these guys knew. But we just had the DNA test results come out last week so i don't know if i don't know if i should be disappointed that these guys aren't secretly like long lost brothers or something i guess that might be cool but i think in a way it's kind of cooler that they're not brothers that they're just two random guys happen to have the same name and now they have this sort of bond just coincidental bond for life where they're gonna know they're the two brady feigles and people are gonna keep asking them about the other brady feigle and getting them confused and i think that's pretty awesome so congratulations to both brady feigles being recognized as our mask off performers of the week and we're making history as we always do on the i'm open podcast the first time we've had two mask off performers with the same name in one week so that's pretty awesome thanks again for listening to the i'm open podcast we hope you had just as much fun as we did don't forget to subscribe give us a rating and tell your friends to listen to this show and remember, you can follow us on Instagram at I'mOpen_Pod underscore pod for hilarious and one-of-a-kind sports content coming at you all the time. Everyone, have a great night, and don't forget to stay open.